0: Christian to you? That was the question that R.C. Sproul asked just a few days after he became a Christian. He went on to become a a pastor and a theologian, but but just a few days after he was a Christian, he turned to the man who led him to the Lord, and he said, hey, what does it mean to be a Christian to you? He was a new believer, but he was was dialed in. He wanted to know what this thing was about. What What am I supposed to do? And this is what his mentor said to him. It means to me that to be a Christian is that I'm going to outwork you and I'm going to outfight you and I'm going to outlove you. Outwork and and outlove, those those sound okay, but but outfight? (laughs) That that feels a little off, right? We're supposed to hand someone a, a gospel track and then step back and say, put them up, put them up, come on, come on. I'm pretty sure that's not what it means, by the way. Now, Sproul goes on to say that what his mentor said was that out loving and out fighting and, and out working, is, it's this picture that no matter what you do, no matter what you do, that you do it for the glory of God. That, that you have as a believer a, a standard of excellence that goes beyond what the world says Is excellent. It's not just a different standard, it's a it's a higher standard. So this week, don't don't go to work or or go to school and go up to your boss or your teacher and say, Hey, you know what? I just want you to know that I went to church yesterday and I'm gonna give it fifty-seven percent today for the glory of God. Fifty-seven percent. That's what I'm gonna give. Don't don't go say that to your teacher or to your boss. Or don't go up if you're retired to the girl in your favorite breakfast joint and say, man, praise Jesus. You know, he's the way and the truth and the life. And then leave her 57 cents for a tip. Okay. No, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, if, if we are communicating in any way with our life that we are a Christian, then we need to be out-workers we need to be out fighters. In other words, we need to work hard. We need to do our best. And we don't need to be quick to quit and go take a cappuccino break just because something's getting a little bit difficult. We need to press on and press in. We need to outwork and, and outfight. What about that other one? Out love. What is it about being a Christian that calls us to, to out love? And does it matter? I mean, do you really need to try and out love? I mean, does it, does it really matter in your life today whether you're trying to out love as a Christian? Well, actually, it does matter. In fact, it, it matters so much in a sense your very life depends on whether or not you are outloving. So, what do we do? Well, we're going to need to move. We're going to need to move near. So what does that mean? Well, let's see if we can find out. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, to his friends there, and this is what he says, for you were called to freedom, brethren. Paul's writing a letter to this church at Galatia because it had been a year or two since he had been to homecoming He was out missionary in other places, so he hadn't been back in a while, and and he had kind of heard that the church had gotten off track. Well, how had they gotten off track? Well, it seemed there were some people there in the church that were pulling people and drawing people away from the gospel. They were drawing people away from the fact that Jesus is the only source of salvation and joy and satisfaction. They were telling people that if they really wanted to be right with God, yep, they needed Jesus. That was good, but they also needed some, some other things. They needed some religious laws and some religious ceremonies. You know, Sometimes we hear the word law or ceremony and we, we start thinking of, of old things or, or ancient things. But remember, laws and ceremonies, especially religious ones, they can be traditional or they can be contemporary. So it's important for us to always remember that we're thinking about the gospel and the gospel first and most. So, wear skinny jeans and wear a coat and tie. Sing ancient hymns and and sing modern praise songs. Use the hymnal and and use the screen. In your Sunday school class, drink regular and drink decaf. It's all right. It's, It's okay. There's some things that, that it's okay for us to do, but don't ever confuse any of those things with the gospel. Because the gospel is alone, this message of how people can be rescued from the everlasting terror of sin and hell. So we get the gospel right. We talk about the gospel, and we don't let anything distract us from the gospel. Because, see, that's what was happening in Galatia. They were being distracted from the gospel. Some folks were confusing them about the gospel. They were persuading people that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ wasn't actually enough, that they needed a few more things. And Paul writes this letter to directly deal with it, to directly challenge those ideas. And what does he say in, in terms of challenging? Just listen to a few, verse, a few verses from this letter. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting Jesus. That's a strong word, right? It's not like, hey, I've heard you missed a couple of Sundays. You know? Hey, I heard you had not been to church in three years, but you made it to homecoming. You know, that, that, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm hearing that you've deserted Jesus, and you've done it quickly. Why? Why? Chapter 1, verse 9. If any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. All right? Galatians 3, 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And then the verse right before what we're looking at today, Galatians five twelve: I wish that those who are troubling you with thing, religious ceremonies like circumcision. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Paul had a hard time expressing his feelings, right? He struggled with telling people how he really felt. But this was a big deal. People were pulling believers away from Jesus with religion. So Paul had to use strong language. And what's one of the ways that he wanted to challenge this thinking? Well, one of the first ways is he wanted them to understand that they had been called to freedom. They had been called to freedom. They had been saved and called to freedom. They had not been called to ceremony. They had not been called to traditionalism. They had not been called to contemporariness. They had been called to freedom. They had been called to remember that that even if they foolishly convinced themselves that maybe for a few seconds or a few minutes or a few hours or a few days that they felt like they could honor and keep and obey God's law, eventually that time would be up and they would mess up. They would break the law. And when you break the law, you got to deal with the consequences of breaking the law. The consequences of breaking the law of God is that you are permanently separated from all that is good and holy and happy and satisfying. We forget the beauty and the glory of what it means to pay attention to our freedom. So Paul's challenging these ideas. He's trying to remind the church of of those things, those truths that we sing in in that song, In Christ Alone. It goes like this. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God, it was satisfied. Why? For every sin on him was laid. And here in the death of Christ, I live. I live life in Christ, freedom in Christ. How? Why? Because every sin was laid on him. Jesus paid it all. That's the gospel. And what was happening in the church is they were ignoring that. They were ignoring the fact that that every sin had been laid on him. One theologian said that what they started to do was to to make their life and live their life in a way that kind of made the death of Christ seem unnecessary. Unnecessary. And so Paul, through his letter, he is pleading loudly. He said, oh, my foolish, fickle friends, please, please stop. Stop thinking. Please stop living. Please stop going to church and work and school and anywhere else and living in such a way that you act as if the death of Christ is unnecessary. Friend, the death of Christ is necessary. The only way that we can overcome death is through the death of Christ. The only way that we can overcome death is through the fact that Jesus has taken on all of our sin. The only way that we receive eternal life is through the death of Christ. It is necessary. But it's not just the death of Christ that gives a believer his or her freedom. It's also the resurrection. The song goes on. Up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. How? Why? How is it that the, the grip of the curse of sin no longer has a grip? The song goes on. For I am his and he is mine bought with the precious blood of Christ. How does a person translate to themselves that they are right with God? How do they translate in their mind and their heart that they are right with God? It's because their soul is able to say with deep confidence, I am his and he is mine. I am his and he is mine. How is it that a person is is made right with with God? They're, They're made right with God through the blood of Christ, through their faith in the blood of Christ. The only way to be saved, the only way to be born again, the only way to be right with God is in and through Jesus Christ. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, there is no other way. And the church... In Galatia, they, they were forgetting it. And so Paul had to remind them, hey, you're made right with God through Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus makes you free. And what happens when a person is right with God? Well, they start living in that freedom. I mean, it's not just, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm free in Jesus. No, you are free in Christ You are free from the everlasting terror of hell. You are free from the everlasting chains of rebellion. You are free from the condemnation of sin. You're free. Paul said this to the Roman church, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation but freedom. The picture here is that, that one of the things that we have as believers is if, that if we are in Christ, it means that today and tomorrow and next Thursday and a hundred years from now and a hundred thousand years from now, being in Christ means that what makes us the most satisfied, the most joyful, the most happy is Jesus. That what makes us the most happy is Jesus. That's what it means to be free in Christ. True freedom is Christ, and Christ is true freedom. If you don't get anything else today, get, get those two thoughts. True freedom is being in Christ, and Christ is true freedom. You've been called to freedom if you are a Christian. So what do you do with your freedom? Well, let's first look at what you don't do. Galatians 5, verse 13 Paul continues, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, you don't use your freedom as a base of operations to be self centered or self focused or self absorbed or self or, or promoting. It means that you don't just do whatever you want to do and, and keep your church membership card in one pocket and that little cross you got at vacation Bible school in the other pocket and, and every now and then you pull them out and you just rub them for good luck. No. Now, that's not what it means to be free in Christ. To be called to freedom is that first and most, you seek to love and honor the one who set you free. As one song puts it, oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the debt. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised my life up from the debt the grave from the dead. We use our freedom for Jesus, the one who raised us up from the deadest death of our sin. That sounds cool. It sounds noble that that we're free in Christ. And so how in the world could that freedom turn into an opportunity for the flesh? How could our freedom in Christ actually move us to be self-centered and and self-focused and self-absorbed and self-promoting? Well, here's just kind of one way to think about it. Imagine somebody says, yeah, I know I'm not honoring my vows to my spouse the, the way I should. And yeah, I know I'm not really raising my kids to honor God. And I know I'm kind of slacking off at school, and I know I'm kind of slacking off at work. I realize that, you know, I've traded reading the Bible for listening to talk radio. I I realize that I've traded prayer for, for scrolling through social media. And yeah, I realize that I've traded being committed to a local church for sports and hobbies and family time and me time. Yeah, I I got it. But you know what? Don't worry about me. I'm good. I prayed the prayer. I joined the church. I gave some money. I'm I'm free in Christ. Praise Jesus. I am free in Christ. Really? Because all of that is the opposite attitude of someone who's truly been set free by Jesus Christ. It's the opposite. So if that's the opposite, then what's the, the real thing? What does it really mean in the simplest of ways to be free in Christ? Paul tells us. Look at the next part of verse 13. But through love, serve one another. Being free in Christ means that you are free to love and serve. You are free to love and serve God first and most. And then you are free to love and serve other Christians strategically and sacrificially and then you are free to love and serve non-Christians strategically and sacrificially you're free to love you're free to serve this is what Jesus said in John thirteen thirty five. by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another So how do you know if you have love for other Christians? And how do you know if you have love for non-Christians? Well, ask yourself this. How do you love yourself? How do you love yourself? Martin Luther said this. If you want to know how you ought to love your neighbor, ask yourself how much you love yourself. If you're looking for some ways of, of how you can love and serve other people, look at the ways that you love and serve yourself. John Piper said it this way all the longings that I have for my own safety and health and success and happiness, I now feel for that other person as though he were me. So, so how are you doing with, with that? How are you doing it out loving your spouse? How are you doing it out loving your kids? How are you doing it out loving your parents? How are you doing it out loving your in laws? I'm meddling now, right? <laughs> what about outside the family? How are you doing it at outloving other people at school? How are you doing at outloving other people at work? How are you doing at outloving other people in traffic? How are you doing at outloving other people at the mall? I struggle with that one, by the way. That's a hard one for me. How are you doing at outloving employees at the IRS? How are you doing it out loving, and how are you doing at out loving in God's church? I mean, here we are today; we're we're celebrating the, the birthday of Holland Avenue Baptist Church. So, how are you doing it at out loving your fellow church members in, in the sanctuary, with, with where you sit, or or with the music we sing? How are you doing it out loving each other? in your Sunday school class or in church conference or in a committee meeting, how are you doing it out loving one another? How are you doing it at thinking about your own health and your own safety and your own happiness and longing that the other people that you do life in church with, that they would have the same kind of health and happiness and safety? Maybe put another way, are you moving toward being sacrificial, Are you moving toward being selfish? Are you serving the Lord with gladness? Or are you serving the Lord with griping? How are you doing it out loving your fellow Christian? Why does it matter though? I mean, what's the big deal? Does it really matter if we're out loving one another? Well, Jesus said... That if you're not at least trying to outlove one another, then you might be proving yourself to not be one of his disciples. That kind of feels like it would matter. That, That you right now might be separated from God. That you might be lost and without hope in this world because there are absolutely no patterns of biblical love in your life. No patterns in your life that is seen that you are out loving others. So it sounds like it could matter if we out love. So how can we prove ourselves to be disciples of Jesus? We, we become out lovers. We, we move and we move near. What does it mean to move near? Well, moving near is an attitude that helps us live out our freedom Moving near is an attitude that helps us love and serve one another. A couple hundred years ago, people would sometimes use the word charity instead of the word love when they were talking about love. And one of the preachers back in that day was a guy named John Angel James. And this is what he said about the Christian call to charity. Look at the operations of charity It was this, this charity, which existed in the mind of deity from eternity and in the exercise of which he so loved our guilty world as to give his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So who has perfectly modeled love and charity and serving others? The good Shepherd the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the great I am. God has modeled it. John Angel James goes on. It was on the wings of charity that the Son of God flew from heaven to earth on an errand of mercy to our lost world. It was charity that moved in the minds and hearts of the apostles and urged them with glad tidings of salvation from country Country. The whole missionary enterprise is founded not, of course, on the basis of brotherly kindness, but on that of charity, on that of love. It's a huge statement. The whole missionary enterprise is founded on charity. How do we know that? Well, we know that because charity has come to you from the throne of God. Charity has come to you from the cross of Jesus. Charity has come to you from the voice of the Spirit. Charity has come to you from the words of the saints. The whole missionary enterprise is founded on charity. Now, put that into the birthday of our church. You see, this church only exists because of the love and the charity and the service of God. In fact, if this church existed without the love and charity and service of God, it would not be a church. And so what we do today is we listen to Paul tell the Galatians, but also us, that we need to remember that, that everything that we have is found in Jesus Christ and we have been saved and we've been called to freedom. It was for freedom we have been set free. It is for freedom that we have been called and it is only in freedom that we can continue. And so let's continue. Let's continue in our freedom. Let's move. Let's move near. What does that mean? What does it mean to to move near? Well, it means we've been called to freedom. We've been called to love and serve one another. And so, therefore, the only way we can keep the next 60 years plus years, the next six plus decades, the only way we can keep going, the only way we can keep living as a church is to live in the freedom that we have in Christ. Freedom to what? We're free in Christ, but we have this freedom. Freedom to what? Oh, this is when it gets good. We have freedom to love one another. We have freedom to serve one another. We have freedom to greet a visitor. We have freedom to visit a shut-in. We have freedom to pray for an unreached people group. We have freedom to pray for a, a school-time Bible student. We have freedom to, to read with hearts for school at Springdale Elementary. We have freedom to financially support this church. We have freedom to financially support other gospel opportunities. We have freedom to go to Guatemala. We have freedom to join the pregnancy care group. You have freedom freedom to fill up a a baby bottle with coins for LeVe Pregnancy Center. You have freedom to volunteer with God's helping hands. You have freedom to, to be engaged and involved with Lighthouse for Life rescuing women from human trafficking. You have freedom to cheer on children. You have freedom to cheer on students. You have freedom to cheer on young adults. You have freedom to cheer on single adults and middle adults and and senior adults. You, You have freedom to cheer on the staff. You have freedom to not be petty. You have freedom to not gripe. You have freedom to not complain, to not gossip. You have freedom to smile. You have freedom to hug. You have freedom to laugh. You have freedom to cry. You have freedom to evangelize. You have freedom to rejoice. You have freedom to love Jesus first and most and then love your neighbor in the same way that you love yourself. You have freedom to come here Sunday after Sunday and stand in victory because the curse of sin no longer has a grip on you. You have freedom. Man, let's be free. This past week, One of our Hartford School volunteers from our church was reading with their student at Springdale Elementary. The book they were reading is called, Have You Filled a Bucket Today? It's a great book. The the book basically is teaching kids the importance of filling the buckets of other people by being kind and, and helpful and nice to them. You know, if you think about it, kind of practically speaking, if you're not filling someone's bucket, then you're, you're kind of dipping in their bucket, right? <laughs> so, so dipping is kind of like getting, and, and filling is kind of like, like giving. And so when our volunteer got ready to leave that day, her student said to her, you know what? You filled my bucket today. And our volunteer looked back, at that elementary student and said, you know what, you filled my bucket today too. Listen, life is tough. We're gonna be tired, we're gonna be tormented, we're gonna be weak and weary, and some days we're gonna have to dip. We are, we're we're gonna have to get. But there's a whole lot of other days, there's a whole lot of other moments that we can give, that we can fill some buckets. How? Well, see, if you're a believer, you've been set free in Christ. You've been called to freedom. So let's do everything we can, as often as we can, to fill up the buckets of other people with the love of our Savior, the one who paid our debt and raised us up from the dead. Let's fill people's lives a a little more with him. Let's be free in Christ and let's move near. Let's be free and let's move near.